This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, the entire race was delayed because of the pandemic, which also forced it online. Then the results were delayed for hours because of technical problems. And most of us did not learn until the morning that Aaron O'Toole is the new leader of the Conservative Party. So what does that mean for the party's direction and its future? And will he be able to unify the various factions? It got pretty nasty between his camp and that of Peter McKay for a while. And is he likely to try to force an election this fall? We'd like to hear from the audience. 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740-4740. And now let's bring in Jason Leader, who is a conservative strategist and president at Enterprise, Kim Wright, an NDP strategist and principal of Wright Strategies, and Bob Richardson, a liberal strategist and senior counsel to national public relations. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. Let us start with Jason, uh, your reaction to this. Well, I watched it so you guys didn't have to, so you guys could safely go to bed so I can report on Now you tell me. (laughs) Okay, yes. (laughs) That's right. Well, listen, the the ballot opening sort of envelope opening schmazzle, that didn't help. That wasn't great. Uh, O'Toole missed, and the the party sort of didn't do him a good service because he missed a a good opportunity to have a real, you know, high-profile Speech last night. I thought he gave a terrific speech. Now, I was a little surprised at the result, at the at the at the disparity. I thought it was going to be razor thin in terms of McKay and O'Toole. It turns out it wasn't. Most of that was because Ms. Lewis was just so strong that, and Mr. O- Mr. McKay just was weaker than expected. So, um, you know, listen, I've known Aaron O'Toole for a long time. He's more steak than sizzle. You know, he's. I think he's going to be a good contrast with the prime minister that way. Family man, former military. You know, principal guy. He's never going to light the world on fire with, uh, you know, with oratory or, or, you know. But, but I will say, last night I thought his speech was it was friendly, it was humble, and it sort of extended a hand to those who probably haven't thought about voting conservative in the past. So he's going to do do more of that. But I thought it was a good night outside, envelope opening gate for sure. Well, and uh, he wasn't your guy though. Oh, Aaron. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I was really hoping for Aaron. I thought Peter might win. But I was really hoping for Aaron. I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised last night because, um, you know, Aaron Aaron is just you know Peter Peter's had some judgment issues in the past, um, yeah. but I thought his name recognition, his ability to fundraise, and his sort of head start in terms of in terms of profile was going to carry him to the to the to the finish. But what it turned out was. Mr. O'Toole, you know, he had a, a different kind of head start, right? He ran in this thing a couple of years ago, and I think his data and, and his team on the ground really, really carried him to victory. So good for him. And uh, just before we move on to our other commentators, I mean, he, he uh, obviously, he won with support from social conservatives. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of the spectrum of the right, where would you put him? I, I honestly put Aaron smack dab in the middle. Now he his his campaign slogan was true blue. Um, you know he clearly was was targeting and it was the right strategy down ballot support from from Ms. Lewis. 
Um, you know, I, I looked at the numbers, Libby, and they're they're sort of shocking. You know, Ms. Lewis had sixty thousand votes in the second in the second ballot, and you know, essentially thirty five thousand of those went to Mr. O'Toole, nine thousand went to Mr. McKay, and the rest just dropped off. Didn't essentially have a choice between McKay and O'Toole. So I put him, but I've known Aaron O'Toole for a long time since he's been an MP. I was in PMO when he when he got, first got to Ottawa. I can tell you that he was he was just a good, solid, moderate. MP, who's a good, solid family man. And the one thing, the other thing about Aaron is he's been able to hold a, a greater Toronto area riding for, you know, the better part of a long time here, you know, and, and that's one of the things that obviously we weren't able to do in the last election. So that's one of his big selling features for sure. Okay. Kim Wright, your reaction. So first off, I congratulate Aaron O'Toole and his campaign. Uh, they certainly, whether he has evolved in some of the social conservative rhetoric that he had employed in, in, in campaigns past his own previous leadership, I'd like to believe he's evolved as has most of society. Certainly he, uh, they, they knew down ticket where some of the others, certainly where Leslie Lewis's uh, remarkable uh, campaign uh, numbers were going, but also that Fourteen and a half percent or so uh, of of the points went to Derek Sloan. So there's a lot of questions still. Uh, Aaron's speech uh, was was really good, other than he didn't pronounce Jigmeet Singh's name properly. But you know, we'll give that to being tired. Aaron's got a big job to do in his team of creating cohesion, creating a narrative that doesn't get hung up on the same uh, social conservative. Uh, uh, women's rights issues, LGBTQ issues, as, you know, uh, Andrew Shear's stuff did, while still, you know, making sure that the SOCON still feel somewhat at home within his party. That's going to be a challenge with recruiting candidates. It's going to be a challenge of how he manages his caucus in what are going to be very difficult days and weeks ahead as uh, Parliament, frankly, negotiates how to keep Canadians healthy, safe, and ongoing. So lots of work to do. I did like his speech a lot last night. I thought it was actually quite uh, quite big tent. Uh, the proof will be in the pudding of how big tent that is. But they were the the O'Toole campaign stayed away from some of the Twitter snarking uh, and really just worked on on the ground, voter to voter identifying votes and getting them in the ballot box because ultimately you can tweet all you want but they have to get in the ballot box bob yeah look i've uh, i think he's a smart hard-working good mp uh i thought he's been a solid front bencher for the conservatives and i thought he ran an excellent leadership campaign he had a real solid team of uh people and uh, as jason said i think his experience of running uh the previous time was a huge uh was a huge advantage that people didn't recognize. I thought his speech was excellent, and it just showed how he will be infinitely better than Andrew Scheer, who was a complete disaster for the Conservatives last night, <clears throat> going out with a bang. Uh, but uh, I thought I thought O'Toole's speech was smart. I thought it was warm. <clears throat> I thought it was forward-looking. Uh, you know, I give him a lot of credit. I thought it was, uh, as, as uh, Kim was saying, uh, sort of a big tent speech. His problem is will will be the problem that any party leader ha- has, which is managing the various factions and managing what you've said in the leadership versus presenting yourself in a general election. So you know, there's a whole bunch of issues where uh, the conservatives candidly are not uh, in touch with the vast majority of 
public opinion, on the environment, on guns, on choice, on other issues. So he's got some policy issues that he's going to have to deal with um, and figure out how he how he positions himself. But overall, I thought he did. Uh, I thought he did a very, very good job. And congrats to him and and to his team. Uh, Bob, before we move on, uh, which leader or, or how does he stand? Is this good news for Justin Trudeau, or would something I, else have been better? Uh, you know, I think liberals, by and large, felt Peter McKay was going to be uh, the more difficult of the two. I, I for one, am, uh, I do not underestimate Aaron O'Toole. I think he, as I said, you know, is a smart, hard worker. Uh, he's held an urban seat, as Jason was saying. Um, I think, uh, look, either one of them will be a vast improvement over the last. We we got a we got sort of a buy in the last election. That will not be happening in the in the next election. We're going to have to up our game. We're going to have to work harder, be smarter, uh, less unforced errors, um, be, because uh, there is better, more competent more polished um, uh, leadership in the Conservative Party. And, uh, and we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to compete against that. Let's talk about Leslin Lewis. So on the one hand, uh, bright woman of color, a, a very progressive thing. On the other hand, she is a, a social conservative. Kim, what do you think of her uh, astonishing performance? Yeah, her and her campaign team, uh, Steve Edhouse, who ran her campaign, they ran a very good campaign. They identified where their support was. Frankly, her, her support, not only within Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, uh, was quite surprising, uh, but also in other places as well, and and even in her, her Ontario numbers. So, you know, she's got a big future. I think the biggest knock against her in this campaign was that she didn't have a seat in the House. That would have been a very different conversation. Although for your listeners, and, and most of your listeners would have remembered, uh, and this is just a historical reference, that uh, Rosemary Brown, who was a New Democrat MP, uh, was the first black woman to run and came in second to Ed Broadbent in, their, in the new Democrat leadership. So I, I want to see more women, more women of color and more people of color uh, run and, and get elected. And uh, having more than one uh, racialized leader in the House of Commons, I think, is good for Canadians. Uh, I think she I think Leslie Lewis has a bright future, as does her campaign team. Jason? She was the, she was the story of the campaign, Libby, in all yeah. sorts of different ways. Number one, she brought a lot more energy and 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 sizzle to the campaign than the others. Uh, number two, I mean, her votes ended up putting O'Toole over. I mean, I again, I did the math, and and I got to tell you, you know, Aaron O'Toole got thirty five thousand votes from uh, from Leslie Lewis in round three. Peter McKay got less than less than ten thousand. So that's what actually made the difference. And what a tremendous leader for the party. What a tremendous asset to have bringing bringing some new members to the party um you know you know there's a by-election up in york who knows whether or not she'll be she'll be aaron alaska to run up there uh coming up but we need her in the house of commons we need more people like her in the house of commons and i really do think um you know the the difference between it what was so refreshing about her i saw her do an interview very early on in the race and yeah she's a social conservative listen i'm i'm not religious i i've been quite critical of social conservatives in terms of some of how they've they've in my judgment, cost us significantly in the past races that we've that we've lost. She was able to explain herself in a way that you know most social conservatives can't. I don't think going to church should be a disqualifier for public office in this in this country. And uh, 
I'm really excited to have her as part of our party. So, you know, good for her. And uh, she, but she was the star of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, let's take a call from Marion in Brantford. Hi, Marion. Hi, Libby. Thank you for taking my call. I just am concerned. I'm wondering. I never heard citizenship mentioned, but it's certainly something I will be watching to see what happens if the Conservatives get back into power. Under the last Conservative government, my family and thousands of others had our citizenship stripped without notice or a way to appeal. And uh, it's just been a struggle. Um, we got a few of the members got it back over the years under amendments. But, I mean, they picked on groups like the War Brides. Oh, that's, I remember that, that story. Um, yeah, that's a, a very uh, specific issue. Yes, and why would they do that? And the veterans like my dad, who came as a home child and then went back and served with the Royal Canadian Artillery throughout World War II, and we came on the war ride ship in 1946. Okay, yes, Marianne. Well, I don't think that's come up yet. I'm sure they'll deal with it uh a little later on. Thanks for your call. And now to the question of an election. Uh, Jason, what do you think? Uh, there have been intimations that uh, he might be on board with joining the bloc to try to bring the government down. Good idea, bad idea? Well, whether it's good or bad, it's, it's, it's going to happen. I don't, and I'm not suggesting there's going to be an election in 2020. I don't think that at all, uh, for the reason that I think Jagmeet Singh is probably can't afford one and probably isn't, uh, isn't too interested in fighting one. So I, I, you know, I think we're probably not going into an election. I think it would be hard for Mr. O'Toole. For example, if Mr. Blanchett presented a non-confidence motion or some sort of trigger like that, I think it'd be hard for Mr. O'Toole to say to our party membership, you know, nah, I voted to let just Justin Trudeau continue. <laughs> I voted to not have an election to, to fight him. It, it's not really ideologically consistent. But I think, Bob, you'd remember, you know, I remember Stefan Dion just struggling with that kind of thing back in 2007, 2008 or whatever, because it was just like, if you don't actually vote to, you know, send these guys to the polls, then you're sort of agreeing with their strategy. So I think O'Toole's going to say, yeah, uh, the we charity scandal is so difficult and so, so egregious that we think that we should do one. I don't think the NDP is going to vote for an election. I think we're only into an election back in 2021. But what about, uh, you know, our previous panel, which is our Zoomer panel, uh, was saying they think that the public uh, and especially the older public, which is uh, a big, huge chunk of voters, will punish whoever triggers an election. Bob? Yeah. I don't think Canadians want an election right now. And I don't think uh, um, I don't think uh, I agree with Jason. I don't think NDP wants to have an election right now. Look, the Conservatives will never be the Liberals' dance partner in this minority parliament. They will vote against them on matters of confidence every time. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're in the, the poll position as an opposition party, and that's what you do. Uh, the government will dance with the NDP, and they'll dance with the Bloc on certain issues, and by issue by uh, issue by issue, and that's how they will continue to, uh, to uh, stay alive. I would be shocked if we have an election before the spring of uh, 21 and we may even go through 21 too as well so i think uh i think there's far less appetite for an election than you see sometimes in the press 
Kim, is everybody just writing off the NDP saying, ah, they have no money, they're nowhere? Frankly, they they do that every time. And, you know, Jack Layton made a minority parliament work quite well for Canadians. And that, especially as you go through significant economic turmoil as we're going through because of the pandemic, which is also a public safety and public health crisis, it has created a whole set of uh, cracks to be really noticeable, whether that's housing and homelessness, whether that has been pharmacare. Uh, certainly right across across the range of, of issues, certainly how the CERB uh, did, wasn't being managed properly for people and disabilities or seniors and how, how these things all unfolded. So I think there's an opportunity for Jagmeet Singh and the New Democrats if they choose to take it, which is how do you make parliament work? Canadians, in their infinite wisdom, sent a minority government to Parliament Hill to figure this out, to put aside your differences. Yes, you can bicker and, and, and do the press conferences, but ultimately Canadians expect parliamentarians to get down to work, especially in these times uh, where people aren't sure whether their health and well-being is going to be taken care of, let alone their economic health and well-being. And this, let's be clear, COVID is not behind us. We are still very much in the midst of it, and we need to make sure that these things are taken care of. No one wants to see an election. That's Silly parliamentarian games at this point. Uh, Parliament should get to work. Jagmeet Singh and the Democrats are going to continue to negotiate in good faith. Uh, If they have to go to the polls because there is no negotiation in good faith, it is just platitudes and press conferences, then then we'll have to take a deeper look at that. Okay, let's hear from Paul in Mississauga. Hello, Paul. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Um, What I heard from Mr. O'Toole, I was very happy and surprised to hear when he said he loves Canada and he's going to put Canadians first. I have never heard Justin Trudeau or any of his liberals say they love Canada or they'll put Canadians first. And it's about time we have a leader that's going to be a leader for Canada and for Canadians. Okay, Paul. Thanks. Uh, Bob, is that right? I'm pretty sure I've heard Justin Trudeau say he loves Canada. Uh, no, and of course, it's an example of some of the stupidity that uh, politicians have to, have to listen to and put up with today. Sorry, but it is. Uh, uh, I think that all the politicians who are elected in our house um, are very supportive of Canada. Less Except for the Bloc. The, uh, less our friends in the Bloc, who are very supportive of Quebec. I think uh, most of them are there for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. And I think those sort of idiotic statements are not helpful. Okay. Uh, okay. Language. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, the question of a fall election, I mean, Justin Trudeau was all but daring the opposition to take him down. And he's probably thinking, well, maybe I'll get a majority. But, you know, th- there's I think there there is more and more to come out on the weed charity scandal. Jason? Yeah, I don't think uh, it's funny. There was some speculation that the Liberals wanted an election this fall. They're in a bit of chaos. You know, we've talked about this before that, you know, firing your finance minister in the middle of a pandemic, they certainly elevated somebody who is, I think, their top performer in Christian Freeland. But I actually don't think they want an election. And the clue for that to me was they bundled all that stuff, uh, you know, essentially an omnibus bill, the EI measures, which they said were so you know, darn uh, important that they put off by a month and broke parliament in order <laughs> to to jam into a confidence mode. But that is the clue to me that the liberals are probably hoping that that confidence motion does pass. 
Speech on the Throne does pass because they do want that stuff in there. If they were trying to engineer their own defeat, I think they're trying to engineer, if they were to be defeated, they would be okay with it because they would be fighting on an issue that they that they can probably fight with. But I don't think they're actually uh, that interested in the election this fall. I think they want to call one on their own terms when they've got the We Charity scandal completely in the rearview mirror. And that just doesn't seem to be the case right now. Bob? I, look, I think uh, I think they were right to take a break and to uh, to sort of uh, hit reset. Uh, there's no question that there's some internal issues going on in a government that happens, particularly when you uh, move some of the main players at the top. So they needed the time to get their act together. They needed the time to you know do a caucus retreat, a cabinet retreat, uh, make sure that the finance minister is fully briefed up, uh, and uh, and then present something to the house. I'm sure that they will present something to the House uh, that is acceptable to one or one of one of two of the opposition parties that will provide enough votes to make it pass. I don't think they want to go to an election at this time. Uh, I think the earliest they would go to an election would probably be next spring. Hmm. Uh, and among other things, Kim, Justin Trudeau said he would never prorogue Parliament. Well, look, Justin Trudeau says a lot of things, and usually he says a lot of things to get him elected, like, you know, universal daycare and you know, things of the like. But, uh, you know, they've got a lot that's still on their legislative agenda that they should be moving forward on. We are expecting, theoretically, to see some movement from Bill Blair on Black Lives Matters and the systemic racism that we see uh, day in and day out from the RCMP and police servicing. So I think there are lots of things they can do, and certainly uh, the other side of that, which is their environmental agenda, which uh, certainly has uh, it should, is going to be part of the discussion of how you manage the economy and the environment and, and how those can all uh, focus in on, on the public health aspects. There's lots to do. Uh, that's why this, this whole notion of stamping our feet and saying we're just going to go directly to the polls, I think is a pox on all their houses. And I think that your listeners are quite right to say that they, they're not going to be happy with those who trigger an election at this point. And let's be very clear with COVID coming back in, a, in, in with the second wave in the fall, not exactly the time to be going gripping and grinning across the country. Um, okay. Um, so I think everybody is pretty well agreed that uh, there's not going to be a fall election. Jason, um, he's got to, Aaron O'Toole has got to raise his profile, I think. And uh, what does he have to do in order to do that uh, in the midst of the pandemic? Yeah, great, great question, uh, Libby. I, I've, I've been struggling with that a little bit the last couple of days myself because, you know, the, the, the pandemic is a government operation, right? Like, you know, what you see what Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Ford you know, uh, have been able to do in terms of the pandemic really sort of, you know, it, uh, get a lot of profiles or get people to remind, remind themselves why they like them in the first place. Mr. Horgan's done this out in, out in BC, you know, most, most people have done very well over the course of the pandemic and the opposition just doesn't get a lot of airtime. So Mr. O'Toole is really going to have to work hard. And it's one of the reasons why I think we're probably not into an election uh, in, in, in the very, very short term. But, um, you know, for that, you've got to be creative. Uh, you know, they're not going to be able to afford a ton of television advertisements. They're not going to be able to afford a bunch of that stuff. He's lucky that he's got to have a seat in the House of Commons because he's going to be able to use that. I think he's got to use the bump. I think he's going to get a lot of media coverage. I think based on the way he was treated last night, a, a lot of reasonable, reasonably favorable media coverage or attention. So he's going to have to use that. But 
really fundamentally, Libby, this is about picking an issue or two issues and hammering them home, sort of forcing people to cover you and forcing people to see you because there's no magic to this. Mr. Trudeau is going to get 80% of the eyeballs in Canada for that 20% that he's got the opportunities for. He's going to have to be really clear, clear on the, in terms of his mess. Yeah, Bob, Pierre Polievre has been getting a lot of airtime lately. Can uh, Aaron O'Toole just kind of take that over? Well, you know, obviously it's up to a new leader to decide who's in what uh, spots. Uh, I will say Pierre Polyev is an effective finance critic for the for the Conservative Party. He certainly gets under our skin <laughs> regularly, which is part of uh, part of what his job is. But uh, it's important for a new leader to get airtime and have focus. So I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll figure a way for him to cut in and uh, and get some of that. Uh, I think there is an opportunity for him to be. Um, uh, more high profile, and he can do it through policy. He did a very good job of doing that during the leadership process and by highlighting some policy issues. If he wants to figure out what not to do uh, as an opposition leader, he should take a look at Andrea Horvath in Ontario, who has been in the witness protection program for the last six months, and nobody's even heard or seen her. So there's an example of somebody who's all over the map and hasn't had the focus uh, brought focus uh, to opposition, and uh, and I think there are uh, lots of opportunities to do that. Okay, we are absolutely out of time. Thank you so much, Jason Leader, Kim Wright, and Bob Richardson. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Libby. Okay, and that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.